Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, James Collins looks at ancient messages of hope for today's dark world. And Marvin McIlvaney has a Bible in the News report that examines the spiritual ramifications of artificial intelligence. In the messages of the 12 minor prophets, there is a recurring theme. That theme is hope. While it's true that these prophets speak of God's judgment, their messages were more than doom and gloom. To reveal the ancient messages of hope, here is James Collins. Beacon Street Press, as the boss said, has just released my uh, brand new book, The Twelve. Now, when people hear the title, The Twelve, they, they think of the Twelve Apostles, right? Well, this is about 12 different men. It's about the 12 minor prophets. You see, in the Bible, the prophets are categorized into, into two sets of categories. You, you have the major prophets who were guys like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, uh, and Daniel, the major prophets. And then you have the minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, um, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. They're minor prophets. The difference is the major prophets wrote bigger books, the minor prophets wrote smaller books, and so that's how they categorize them. But you know what? Little is much when God is in it. And the messages of these minor prophets are important and they're relevant to us today. I love these guys. These guys remind me of old-fashioned evangelists. When I was a little kid, my mama used to take me to hear old-fashioned evangelists. I was a little bitty baby and I remember going to see Greg Patton. Greg, Greg's been around a long time. Anyway, he's not anyway. anyway but um, these guys, these 12 minor prophets, were men who stood up and they called their nation back to God. And they didn't care who they offended. They preached God's Word with passion and with courage. And I'm telling you, we need more of that in this crazy, mixed-up, politically correct world where the Supreme Court nominee doesn't even know what a woman is. I mean, come on. Where the, the top female athlete is a boy. The, the, the woman of a year is a man. Help us, Lord. Help us. Now, I wished I had time... They've already cut my time. But I wish I had time to talk about all of these minor prophets, but I don't. So today I want to focus on one guy. I want to talk about Jonah. If you have your Bible and you'd like to turn to Jonah chapter 1, I want to talk about Jonah. I feel sort of a kinship with the prophet Jonah because like him, there have been times in my life when I ran from God. Anybody in here like that? Anybody in here willing to say been times when you ran from God? Also, like Jonah, I have preached 
at Nineveh. I was told you I was an army chaplain for uh, most of my adult life. I served in the military and I was an army chaplain. And the thing about the army is they like to send you on these wonderful paid vacations to these beautiful exotic places uh, like Iraq. Every couple of years or so, they kept sending me to Iraq. Uh, but uh, here I am, this is me, at the gates of Nineveh, standing there preaching the saving gospel of Jesus Christ to a group of soldiers at the gates of Nineveh. So, I identify with this guy Jonah because, you see, like Jonah, I've ran from God. And like Jonah, I stood where Jonah stood, and I preached where Jonah preached. Now, Jonah was a strange and unusual prophet. He's got an unusual story. His story about being swallowed by a big fish has been enjoyed by children for generations. I remember when I was a little kid, my mom had a picture Bible, and she would read the story to, uh, of Jonah to me from out of that picture Bible. It's one of my favorites. And when our children were little, we read the, the story book version to our kids too. And, and we know that Jonah, the Bible tells us, was a prophet of God long before we find this message coming to him here in the Bible. In the book of 2 Kings, we read that Jonah was a man who prophesied to the people of Israel, but here now... Here, in the book that bears his name, God sends Jonah to preach to the people of Nineveh. Nineveh was the ancient capital of the Assyrian Empire. It's in uh, what is now northern Iraq. Nineveh was famous for its city walls and its city gates. And when God told Jonah, you're going to Nineveh, Jonah ran from God. Jonah became a... Fugitive, And that's what I'm going to speak on today. Now, if you're able, would you please stand all over the church house out of honor and respect for the reading of God's holy, inspired, infallible, and inerrant word. The Bible says in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now drop down, if you would, to verse 15. The Bible says, So they took Jonah and cast him down into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord, and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. God, I ask today for that that I do not deserve, that that I cannot buy, that that I cannot borrow, that that I cannot work up. Lord, I ask for a fresh touch. God, I pray that Jesus would increase and that I would decrease. Lord, I pray that you put your thoughts in my mind and your words in my mouth and that, Lord, your message would go forth clearly, that you would bind Satan and all of his minions. And Lord, that your message would go forth and lives would be touched. People would be changed. Eternal decisions would be made for your son, Jesus Christ. 
I pray it in the mighty name of Yeshua HaMashiach, my Savior, Jesus the Messiah. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I love that story about the uh, hunter who, he, he loved to hunt. There's a man that loved to hunt, and, and he saved up all of his life to go big game hunting in Africa. He loved to hunt. He used to watch those TV shows about hunting and the, doing safaris, and he saved up all his life, and he, and he went to uh, Africa on safari. And when he got to Africa, he hired a tour guide to take him out uh, and, and to the best hunting places, and, 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 and he was out hunting wild game. And they were going along when all of a sudden, out through the jungle, there jumped a giant man-eating lion. The lion jumped out and ran straight for them. The man, uh, the hunter and the, and the tour guide uh, went screaming through the jungle, running, yelling, you know, screaming bloody murder, hollering, and they were being chased by that lion. As they were running along, the tour guide stopped. He sat down on a rock and he started untying his boots. He reached into his backpack, he pulled out a pair of running shoes, of tennis shoes, and he started putting them on and laced them up. The hunter ran past him and said, man, are you crazy? You know you can't outrun a lion in tennis shoes. And the, the tour guide said, I don't have to outrun the lion, I just have to outrun you. Now listen to me, the point of the story is this. I don't know if it's possible to outrun a lion or not. But I do know this. It is impossible to outrun the Lion of Judah. You can't outrun God. But it is amazing how many people try. You know, each and every one of us in this room, we're all in a race and everybody's running it. Some are on the right track, some are on the wrong track. Some are on a good path, some are on a bad path. Some are running for God and some are running from God. Those that are running from God are fugitives. When I was a little kid, there was a television show called The Fugitive. Do you remember that television show? They, they made a, a movie out of it with Harrison Ford several years back. But in that TV show and in that movie, there was a character, Dr. Richard Kimball, who was falsely accused of murdering his wife. And he was running in that show. He was running from the law. They, he was a, it was a show, a television program about a man on the run. He was a fugitive. And there are Christians all over this country, all over this world, and, and they are fugitives. They're running from God. Fugitive Christians, if you will. That's exactly what Jonah was in the New Testament sense of the term. Look at verse 3. The Bible says, But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish. The word flee means to run away from. It comes from a Hebrew word that means to be a fugitive. Jonah was a fugitive. Now, you think about that for just a moment. The Bible tells us that Jonah was a man of God, a child of God, a man who loved God, who worshipped God, but he became a fugitive from God. And you can sit in a church every Sunday and you can be a fugitive because you're running from God. You can be a Bible-toting, Scripture-quoting, blood-bought child of God and you can be running from God. 
Now, this message has nothing to do with your salvation. It has nothing to do with you going to heaven. The devil can't snatch that from you. Being a fugitive Christian has nothing to do with your destination, but it has everything to do with your destiny. God sent me here this morning to tell you three dangers that you face if you run from God. And, and these dangers, they get progressively worse. Each one gets worse and worse. First of all, I want you to see that if you run from God, you're following a disobedient path. If you run from God, you're on a disobedient path. Look at verse 1. The Bible says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. Now the phrase there means, that phrase means the command of God. The command of God came to Jonah. The command of God the Father came to Jonah. Now I was raised by good and godly parents. And this may be hard for some of you to believe because you know I'm so squared away now. But when I was a little boy, when I was a little boy, I got more spankings than any other kid in the whole family, any other kid around, any other kid in the whole town. I know that's hard to believe. But it's true. I know that stuns you, doesn't it? The truth is, the truth is, I was a little ornery when I was a kid. Now, my wife has got me much better trained now. I'm, I'm, I'm much, much better trained now. But because I was a little ornery when I was a little boy, I, I got a lot of spankings. And now don't go out of here and, and say, hey, James Collins said you ought to spank your kids. I didn't say that. I'm not, don't get me hooked up in some kind of lawsuit or anything. I'm just telling you, I was raised in a different time by a different set of folks. Okay? Because I got a lot of spankings, I had a favorite place that I liked to hide. I had made a fort out in the woods behind our house. There's some pine trees out there and a couple of logs, and I put them together, and I put some pine branches over them. And when I got down in that fort, I was invisible. You couldn't see me. I was hidden. Couldn't find me. It was my secret hiding place. I remember one day I was in the yard with my cousin. My cousin's, uh, my cousin Bubba. That, no. Now, I know that's not his real name. His real name was Jimmy Joe Jeff Johnny Paul Ray Elmer Jr. I said, that's his. why y'all laughing? That was his name. Jimmy Joe Jeff Johnny Paul Ray Elmer Jr. But that was a mouthful, so we just called him Bubba. I was in the yard with my cousin Bubba, and I don't remember what happened, how the fight started I don't remember but but I what I do remember is he said something and he made me mad and he was standing there with his chin kind of stuck out like that now I knew the consequences for hitting my cousin and I really now listen I, I really don't I really don't think in my mind I intended to hit him. I just think I wanted to scare him. I just meant to kind of do like this and let the wind blow past him, you know, and kind of scare him a little bit. That's what, I really think that's what I meant to do. But when I did like this, 
I caught him right there in that chin. And he lifted back up and landed on his backside. And then he jumped up and said, I'm telling, I'm telling, I'm telling on you. <laughs> and he went running in the house where my dad was. My dad had two belts. One was for holding up his britches. The other belt he kept hung on the wall on a nail under a copy of that old hymn, I Need Thee Every Hour. <laughs> because he used that thing on me quite often. I'm just telling you. Well, because I knew my, my dad had that belt, I ran to my secret hiding place. And I was hidden. I was there in the woods. I was in my fort. Nobody could find me. You couldn't see me. You couldn't find me with one of them satellites and drones and stuff. They had. I was hidden. No way you could find me. My dad stepped out on the back porch. He had that belt in his hand. He said, James! Come here, boy. I see you out there. I thought, you don't see me. He said, son, I see you out there in between those pine branches. I thought, my dad must be Superman. He's got x-ray vision or something. How does he see me? He said, you better come here now. So I crawled out. and I was kind of shuffling along. You know how kids do. And he said this. Boy, you better run. Well, I started running. And as I'm running, I'm thinking, James, you sure are stupid. You're running to get a whipping. Who would run to get a whipping? Then I thought, I'm pretty fast. I think I can outrun that old man. I got up there to him, and I just kind of pivoted and went running the other way. Y'all know that crazy old man started chasing me? He did. And I thought, I could outrun him. I could, run, I could outrun him, because I was young. I was pretty fast, you know. But then I had this thought. James, you're sure stupid. You can't live in the woods. You're going to have to go back when mom makes supper because I didn't miss supper, I'm just telling you. So I just kind of slid down. And it was a bad day after that. Now here's the point. It hurt me when I ran from my dad. I know it's a silly story, but it hurt me when I ran from my father. And it really hurts you when you run from your Heavenly Father. In The Twelve, James Collins explores the life and times of the Minor Prophets. He considers the circumstances under which each prophet labored, the issues he confronted, what his message meant for the people of his day, and how that message applies to those of us living in these last days. 
His teaching brings the major emphasis of these men of God alive for the reader. The Twelve is a collection of exceptional essays on each of the Twelve Prophets. Order your copy of The Twelve by James Collins when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144 or order online swrc.com. Marvin McIlvaney has today's Bible in the News Report, which is looking at artificial intelligence and the danger of creating idols. We read in Psalm 115, Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. Again, verse 4 says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. Men build idols with their hands out of silver and gold. I think most people would think that means they make little statues or little figurines of who their God might be. That is idolatry. The second commandment forbids idolatry. Apostle Paul in Colossians 3.5 compares covetousness to idolatry. Covetousness means having a strong desire to possess something belonging to someone else. The point is, Men still build idols. Men drive Rolls-Royce cars that tell everyone, Hey, look at me, I've made it, I'm rich. Other people see it and think, I've got to have that. Or a big fancy house in Beverly Hills. People drive by and dream of living in a big house. In Hollywood, they sell maps to movie stars' homes so you can drive by and say, I want to be a movie star. I want people to adore me and want to be me. I know people do that, and it sure sounds like idolatry to me. You know what else has gold and silver and is made by men? Computers. They have gold and silver conductors. Gold is highly conductive. Copper, silver, and aluminum are also conductive, but gold offers a superior level of electrical conductivity. As a result, it's the perfect material for electrical components. Some of you out there may be thinking, I don't know, Marv, a computer being an idol is kind of a stretch. I thought so too until I saw a story about AI, artificial intelligence. From Siri and Alexis to self-driving cars, manufacturing robots, smart assistants, proactive healthcare management, disease mapping, automated financial investing, virtual travel booking agent, social media monitoring, the list goes on and on. Science fiction often portrays AI as robots with human-like characteristics. But AI can encompass anything from Google's search algorithms to autonomous weapons. One of the most, if not the most famous, AI robot is named Sophia. You may have seen her on TV, like on the Jimmy Fallon show. She looks like a human lady, except the back of her head is open to exposed wires and circuit boards. Another famous AI robot was the computer named Hal, who was on board the spaceship heading for Jupiter when he suffered a nervous breakdown. Listen to him as he tells Dave that he is afraid 
because Dave is shutting down his higher functions. I've still got the greatest enthusiasm and confidence in the mission. And I want to help you. Dave, stop. Will you? Stop. Will you stop, Dave? I'm afraid. I'm afraid, Dave. My mind is going. I can feel it. I can feel it. My mind is going. There is no question about it. This scene is emotional because I think we all fear this kind of fate, slowly losing grasp of who we are, clinging to what is left of our mind before we die. And for Dave, it's like giving your friend a lobotomy while he's still conscious. In 2014, Elon Musk said that AI was the biggest existential threat we have. He stated that AI could be more dangerous than nuclear weapons. He went on to say, with artificial intelligence, we are summoning the demon. So, Elon Musk thinks there is a spiritual side of AI. Does a computer understand concepts such as morality, emotion, empathy, humor, relationship, and so forth? Recently, it's been reported that an engineer who once worked at Uber has started a new religion. Anthony Lewandowski filed paperwork for a nonprofit religious organization called The Way of the Future. Its mission? To develop and promote the realization of a Godhead based on artificial intelligence and through understanding and worship of the Godhead, contribute to the betterment of society. Robbie Minicola, who runs a digital agency and an AI services company in Seattle, agreed that an all-knowing AI could appear to be worthy of worship. The AI would understand how the world works at a higher level than humans, and humans would trust that this AI would provide the information we need for our daily lives. It would parse this information for us and enlighten us in ways that might seem familiar to everyone. Will people actually worship the AI God? The answer is obvious. They will. We tend to trust and obey things that seem more powerful and worthy than ourselves. The GPS in your car is the most obvious example. But we also trust Alexa and Siri. We trust Google. When an AI becomes more powerful in 25 to 50 years, there is a great possibility that it will be deified in some way. Of course, this is nothing new. The singularity believes AI will become smarter than humans at some point. You might laugh at the thought of an AI being so powerful that humans bow down to worship it, but several experts have argued that the idea is a lot more feasible than you might think. We read in Revelation 13:15, And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak, and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. It's hard to imagine ever worshiping a robot that lacks any real personality, wisdom, or ability to become personal, no matter how much more intelligent it is than any human. An AI god would be cold and impersonal, an intellectual being that's not capable of love or emotion. And more importantly, this creature, this thing, would have no soul. Our featured resource today is James Collins' new book, The Twelve. Order The Twelve when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order online, swrc.com.
Tomorrow, Dr. Rob Lindstedt will be here to reveal the mysteries of God. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.